everyone and welcome to another episode of the A to Z of Men's Health right here on Good Health Radio. Tony Shebeki with you, I'm your host. Big show coming up for you this week. We're looking at sleep. We're going to have a chat to Cameron Vandendungen about how important sleep is for men's health and why you need to get more of it. We're also going to talk about prostate cancer. Jeff Dunn to join us, the CEO of the Prostate Cancer Foundation, to join us very shortly. And we'll speak to our resident physio, Ian Tran, about, uh, well, just looking after yourself, I suppose, post-COVID and what you need to do there. All that to come right here on the A to Z of Men's Health. Thanks to The Male Hug. Check it out at themalehug.com.au. Let's get into it. Jeff Dunn is my name, and it is my privilege to serve as the Chief Executive Officer of the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia. And of course, 2020 for each of us in different ways has been a difficult year. And that's why we're determined to make a difference. And that's why this summer we're inviting you to join us in the new Big Aussie Barbie campaign to support men and their families who have been impacted by prostate cancer. Every 30 minutes, one of our fathers and brothers, one of our sons is diagnosed with this disease. It is the most common cancer diagnosed in men in Australia. And we have some of the highest rates in the world. But the good news is that we can take action, which is why we're inviting you this November to save a life, to save men's lives. This is about gratitude for good food, for good friends, for conversations that inspire survivorship and create hope for a long life and a healthier community for each and every one of us. The Big Aussie Barbecue, a big fundraising effort for the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia. And the voice that you heard there was that of Jeff Dunn, the CEO. And he joins us on the line now for a chat. G'day, Jeff. How are you? I'm really well, Tony. Great to be here. Uh, Great to have you on board too. Let's kick it off with the the Big Aussie Barbecue. We can have a chat about it later on as well. But it's a a, a massive day or a massive weekend for you guys, uh, two or three days where we're asking people around Australia to go and have a barbie, get your mates, collect some money and raise some funds for a, a fantastic cause. Indeed we are. And certainly it's about raising funds without a doubt, you know, because there's, you know, life-saving research and, you know, important prostate cancer specialist nursing services and awareness we have to get out there. But it, it, is, it is just as much about awareness as well. So we need to get the message out about prostate cancer. And I think, you know, the Big Aussie Barbie campaign allows us, allows us to do that. The tagline is save a life to, to save a life. Yeah. Uh, and we're hoping that we get people together all over the country and to start conversations about prostate cancer so that we can improve levels of awareness. We can you know, start to combat this disease um, and to make a difference in outcomes around the country, as, as well as raise a few bucks. And the, the, the facts are simple. In Australia, prostate cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in men. Approximately 3,500 Australian men die of prostate cancer each year. And thirdly, more men die of prostate cancer than women die of breast cancer. You can't get away from those facts. They're real. Well, that's right. I mean, prostate cancer is a major public health issue in this country. And as you've just said, sadly, just over 3,000 Australian men die of prostate cancer each year. In that same period of time, in any 12-month period at the moment, there's about you know, 17,000 men are newly diagnosed. It is a major issue. You know, one in six Australian men 
um, will be diagnosed with prostate cancer by the time they reach 85 years of age. And we want to just make sure people understand a bit more about prostate cancer. When we survey the community, yep. you know, 70% of men are, you know, are not familiar with what the current guidelines are for about prostate health. And so we're trying to get the messages out there. And great messages there are too. And it's been an interesting time for all of us, hasn't it, this COVID-19 period. And unfortunately, as we know with mental health, and I'm assuming that probably just normal general health has been sort of pushed to the side a little bit by people. You haven't been able to go to the GP. We haven't been able to get our regular checks. So it would be really important now as the country starts to reopen up that the first thing most men do is make an appointment with their doctor and get a blood test, not just for prostate cancer, but for a lot of things, just to make sure the last six months have been kind to them. Well, you know, Tony, 100%. What we know from all the data that, that fewer people have been going to see their general practitioners uh, when they should be. We, we also know from the data about pathology testing and about screening um, for cancers generally, for example, that, that people have been putting it off. You know, fewer people have been going to breast screen. Fewer people have been undertaking the colorectal cancer screening uh, program test. And, and fewer men have been presenting um, for PSA testing, you know, for the blood test. And I think what we're saying out there, men, for men out there, look after your health. I tell you, it's important for you as individuals, but it's also important for your families because mm -hmm. we do know that when... When a man in the house and family gets gets ill, there's a disproportionate burden on on partners and children as well. So, do it for yourself, but but do it for your families and keep aware. If 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 you know you're meant to be having a test, if you know you you've got a GP appointment coming up, if if you've noticed some changes or symptoms or you're not feeling like you used to, go and see go and see your GP. Yeah, exactly right. And let's. Let's sort something out straight away because I think a lot of blokes out there still are of the opinion that the only way you get a prostate cancer test is to have the doctor stick his finger up your bum and that's it. That's not the case anymore. As we said, a simple blood test will give the initial diagnosis of whether you may have something to worry about. Then from there, you can deal with it and what might happen after that. But it's just a blood test. Easy. Exactly. So the first line, the first line screen now, you're right. You, so the messages are simple. So if you're a bloke with no family history, if you've got a family history of prostate cancer, I'll come back to that. But if you're a bloke out there with no family history and no symptoms, you, you should start talking to your general practitioner at age 50 about your prostate health. And then you have that discussion. Now, if you agree after talking with your general practitioner, to have a test, it's a simple blood test. Mm. Um, the current guidelines do not require a, a digital rectal examination, DRE, which is the finger, as people used to uh, colloquially call it. But the current guidelines do not stipulate that as a first-line test. So talk to your general practitioner, uh, make a decision. If, if you are a man out there who, who has a family history of prostate cancer, for example, if you have a a brother or father who's had prostate cancer, you're twice as likely to be, you know, your risk factors twice as likely to get the disease. So you need to start talking to your general practitioner from age 40, 45. And if you're, if you're out there, if you've got several close relatives who've had prostate cancer, um, 
you know, your risk factor goes up again. So if you've got a family history of this thing, uh, please do talk to your general practitioner from age 40. And importantly, too, I think, Tony, if you've got a, if, if you're in a feminized household and it's, you've just got, you know, sisters and female relatives, but if there's a high incidence of, you know, some uh, female cancers, breast and others, where one of those BRCA gene mutations are present, well, you may also be at higher risk. So be aware of your, be aware of your risks uh, and make sure you take appropriate action. Jeff, motor neurone disease has got a, a fantastic supporter in Neil Danaher, who has been pushing the, the cause over the last few years. Prostate cancer probably really came to awareness when another footballer in Ted Witten, yeah. down in Victoria, really took it up a level. Didn't I think the awareness from blokes and, and the opportunity through the Witten Foundation for guys to go and get tests has been really elevated, especially down in the southern states. Oh, here, here. Uh, Ted Witten Foundation and, and, and that sort of publicity really does make a difference, you know, and, and our, our ambassador for Biggest Aussie Barbie is Matthew Hayden. Yeah, his now, dad died of prostate cancer, didn't he? Well, he, well, his dad has prostate cancer. He has, yeah. okay. Yeah, so, and, and Matt's been terrific and, you know, he's a, he loves nothing better than a barbecue, by the way. So yeah. he's the perfect, he's the perfect fellow to have. I think I've still got a copy of Matthew Hayden's cookbook somewhere. In <laughs> well, mate, if, if any of your listeners are interested, we've got, we've got, um, uh, we've got some cookbooks to give away. Personally signed by Matt as well. But I mean, if you think back, the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia as an organisation actually began, um, and in fact, next year. Uh, in 2021 as a 25th anniversary. The organization began, it had its origins in, in the mid nineties. Um, and that's when screening became more, more uh, accessible and abundant and more men were being diagnosed. And there was a fellow, some, some of us might remember, Roger Clemson, who was a yes. TV personality. Uh, and Roger was involved in the Lane Cove Rotary Club, which is in the Northern beaches of Northern suburbs of Sydney, North Shore of Sydney. And actually, the, the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia actually grew, grew out of that club and officially um, commenced as an organisation in, okay. in 1996. And of course, you know, there have been very, you know, there have been very many high profile people diagnosed with prostate cancer and that helps raise awareness. But of course, we're, we're trying to generate a level of awareness and community conversation, uh, you know, which is ongoing um, around, around, you know, barbecues and around family places in, in clubs you know social groups that yeah. work to keep the conversation going so in regards to a, a bloke out there what should we be looking at as being the, uh, the the things that should give us a little bit of concern is it the the delay in urinating and things like that those little signs that we need to look for all right so indeed first up let me just restate though if you're, if you're 50 with no family history, talk to your GP. And if you've got a family history, please do talk to your GP uh, from age 40. Uh, because the, the, the simple fact of the matter is um, early stage prostate cancers, many of them don't have side effects or don't have symptoms. I'm sorry, not side effects. You don't actually see the symptoms. So it, it's important not to wait for the symptoms okay. if you're in, those screening, in those screening ages. Um, but then again, if, you know, uh, what are some of the symptoms? And, and you've mentioned about 
uh, urinary frequency. So having to get up and go to the toilet more often at night, you know, so you, you've got to get up more often. If there's any urinary pain, of course, if you've got pain down there, if there's any blood in your semen, of course, go and talk to your general practitioner. You know, if you have sort of rapid weight loss or unexplained pain or, or aches and mm. those sorts of things, please do talk to your general practitioner. Um, and, and remember that all of these signs and symptoms uh, may, may be uh, maybe harmless or innocuous just and they may be related to to different things entirely they they might not be related to prostate cancer but if if you've got pain down there if you if your urinary habits have changed if you've got blood in your urine or you're having difficulty with ejaculations all those sorts of things if you've got weight loss rapid weight loss which is unexplained talk to your general practitioner that's what's yep. important yep no exactly right and we should also mention too that uh it is november and yep. one of the, the major supporters of uh, prostate cancer for a long time as well has also been Movember. And yep. uh, that happens this month. And blokes are being encouraged to raise money for prostate cancer awareness and uh, grow a mo. Well, that's right. And, and again, all, all of this contributes to the overall awareness about prostate cancer. Because, you know, we need the funds to continue the research and the support and the awareness activities. And, you know, we've been talking a bit, Tony, if I could just throw to this, I think... You know, we talk about the numbers. So there's 17,000 approximately new diagnosis each year. Yeah. Um, 3,000 men die. In Australia now, we reckon there's about 220,000 men who have been diagnosed and tre treated with prostate cancer or diagnosed with prostate cancer who are living, who are still living with that disease. Um, and, and that's a big number. But, but I tell you what, there's room for hope. You know, in Australia, let's look at something positive. In Australia in the last say 25 years, you know, five-year survival rates, and it's a, it's a statistic, um, but it's the one we use to compare and benchmark with, uh, to see how well we're doing. So five-year survival rates for prostate cancer have improved from 60% to 95%. Fantastic. So we, it, it's fantastic. So in Australia, we, we have some of the best survival rates in the world. And, you know, we can thank our researchers and our, you know, doctors and nurses and allied health people, our health system, you know, we all want it to do better on occasion, but gee, it does a good job when you compare it globally. We've got a great health system. We want, we, we would like, we'd like improvements, of course, but, you know, we have a 95% survival rate and that's wonderful. I mean, we want that to be a hundred percent, of course. Um, well, even before that, we don't want anyone to get prostate yeah, cancer, but exactly. at the moment we don't know how to prevent it. Um, so the trick is to, is to get to this thing as early as possible to find it as early as possible to give to, to give treatment the best possible chance of success to keep delivering on these fantastic survival rates. And the research work that's going on in this country is second to none, and we need to continue that. So Biggest Aussie Barbie, if you get a chance, go and visit our website, sign up, um, have some fun, talk to your mates, and raise some money for an important cause. What a fantastic way to finish on a big positive. The bigaussiebarbie.com.au. It's the 27th to the 29th of November. You can raise money for research, nursing and support to save a life of a man that you love and that might even be yourself. All you need to do is host a Barbie, 27th to the 29th of November, bigaussiebarbie.com.au to register. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. And let's just understand that awareness around prostate cancer and look forward to catching up again soon. Cheers, Danny. Thank you very much. All right, time to catch up with a good mate of mine. He also happens to be the CEO of Sleep Tight and a non-executive director of 40 Weeks. 
sleep and bedding has been in his family for a long, long time. His name is Cameron Vanden Dungan, and he joins us to have a chat about sleep and its important in our and its importance in our health. G'day, Cameron. How are you? Hey, Shebex, uh, mate, I'm, I'm really excited to be talking about sleep. You and I normally spend our time talking about sport. Uh, the other great love of my life is sleep. So I'm really excited to, uh, to hopefully help educate people on that, uh, that mystery that we spend a, a third of our life doing. No, exactly right. And Cameron, let's first of all, just bring our listeners up to date with, as I said, your family history. Your dad was part of the, the founding fathers of 40 Winks. Yeah, well, uh, uh, my father, exactly right, was one of the founding members of 40 Winks Franchising way back in the 80s. We were one of those uh, those companies, Autobahn's another great company that came out of a brand that came out of the 80s. And we were a bit of a co-op when it started and became a franchise in the late 80s, early 90s. And I joined the family business just after the global financial crisis. But I grew up in and around 40 Winks. Prior to that, my father was uh, at Sealy. And prior to that, he ran the betting department at Meyer. So my entire life has been spent in and around beds. Oh, fantastic. So we're speaking to the right bloke when we talk about sleep. There's no doubt about that. And sleep's just one of those funny things, isn't it? It's, it's something that we never seem to get enough of throughout our entire life. We're born and we only sleep for two or three hours. We cry, we wake up, feed, go back to sleep if we're lucky. Then as we start to get a little bit older, we start to get to that 12-month age, we start to sleep for a longer period of time. But then as we, through our young adolescent years, our minds are so active and sleep obviously is is tough there as we get older stresses become a major part of lack of sleep it it's something that i'm not sure whether we get enough of from day one through to day dot i can tell you we definitely don't the numbers are in um, deloitte access economics a couple of years ago did a, a report called a sleep on the job that was um as part of the sleep health foundation's work to educate australians last year we had a parliamentary inquiry into inadequate sleep and lack of sleep in australia over 7.3 million australians are living with inadequate sleep that is not enough sleep the ramifications for personal health and well-being are unbelievably bad yeah. the direct financial implications on our healthcare sector are horrendous um, and yet it is something that we, we in the sleep industry and i say sleep industry 40 wink sells beds but my sleep tight business is very much in the sleep industry certainly amongst the research and development of uh of how to to get people to uh focus on sleep and how to validate good sleep but um, we, we're calling it the third pillar of health everybody talks about diet everybody talks about exercise the third pillar of health and it really underlines the whole lot is sleep so let's go back to the start of our lives then how important is it for us as parents or that we make sure our kids get a good night's sleep is it something that becomes a, a habitual thing if you're a good yeah. sleeper as a kid is it something that you are as an adult mate that's actually uh, there's some really interesting science and for those of you that um get stuck in one of those google searches like i do at times and jump onto youtube or ted i don't know if you've heard about ted there's some yeah, wonderful right. speeches on ted.com really interesting speech on ted.com from about five years ago and i've followed up the science i've been at a couple of sleep and brain symposiums recently uh it looks likely and i'm not going to say it's settled but it looks very likely that disrupted sleep patterns in children are a very reliable lead indicator for late life mental health issues so it is critically important you get good sleep for your children there's the physical development all of our muscle growth and all of our body development happens through the sleep cycle, all of our mental development, as you're learning in those formative years and you're in school and you're learning all these things, 
if you don't sleep, it is proven you forget everything. It deeply entrenches itself in your memory through the process of sleep. But it's not just about the kids though, as well. Any new parent and Shebex, you've been through it. I've yeah. been through it. I'm still going through it. I've got a four-year-old and a six-year-old at home. I'm worried about them. But at the same time, it has a direct impact on the quality of my sleep, True. my outlook, my mental health and everything else as well. So looking after your kids is, is important because it also looks after you. So what is the main function of sleep? Is it to rehabilitate our body from what has been a, a stressful 12 or 14 hours prior? Uh, it, to be able to answer that effectively, Shebex will probably need a four-hour symposium and I'll need to bring you so many different specialists, it's not funny. Um, we don't know enough about sleep. The research world is underdone, underfunded in that space. Most of it's around respiratory, 95% of it. What we do know, though, is that your mental and physical repair and development happen through the course of the night. So there's some, there's, I like to talk of these five things that you need to know about sleep. I call it, you know, the barbecue stopper or the dinner party stopper. Yep. It's something that when I've been talking to the 40 Winks team about, I always say there are five things, I, five statements I can make that will make any person question the way they're sleeping right now. And I'll give you those five things, Shebex, just quickly. Um, so a lack of sleep promotes a hormone in the body called ghrelin. Now, ghrelin is nicknamed the obesity hormone. So by um, not getting enough sleep, you're promoting the production of this hormone. Hence, it helps you put on weight not sleeping. Counter, if you actually get enough sleep, it actually helps you with the weight loss process. So that's number one. If you're out there trying, you're on a diet and you're trying to train, go to bed early. Make sure you get your full eight because if it ain't eight, it ain't great. Um, lack of sleep. Um, there's a, a, a wonderful, um, I, I think he might be a professor now, but Dr. Stanley Corrin at the time he wrote the book, wrote a book called Sleep Thieves, um, University of British Columbia. For every hour of sleep lost the night before, you lose one IQ point, point the following day, Shebex. Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting there and you're in a highly you know, uh, responsible role, you're an educator or you're a surgeon, you need to get your sleep. It will literally make you um, less intelligent the following day proven, validated. Lack of sleep suppresses the immune system, making you more susceptible to illness. Lack of sleep also speeds up the aging process. So it makes you older. Shebex, we keep going through it. And the other one I always talk about is the disrupted sleep patterns in children. But I'm going to throw in a curveball sixth yep. because I got this one recently. And that was uh, at that sleep and brain symposium I was mentioning before, there was a lot of um, uh, looking into the brain and actually dissecting of a brain. It looks likely that disrupted sleep patterns in the elderly leads to the early onset of dementia. Mm. Now, Shebex, with knowing all of that, how did you sleep last night? And how have you been sleeping lately? You see, I'm, I'm not a bad sleeper, but I tend to get up a couple of times to go to the toilet. As I know, most guys once yep. they, and girls, once they get over 50, tend to do. So my sleep is disruptive, I think, through that. And while I used to be a really heavy snorer, and had mild sleep apnea at the time, my wife tells me that she doesn't hear me snore anymore. So whether I've improved that just through my diet and the fact that I've actually lost a few kilos and, and I'm feeling a bit better, it, it, maybe that helps as well. But I definitely remember there were times when I would be snoring and I'd actually wake myself up because you, you, know, you just get that, that shudder going through your body. So my sleep has got a lot better than what it was maybe two, three years ago. So I, I'm, there's a couple of things you just said in that. And now remember, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to be prescribing yeah, no, anything cool. here. Um, uh, weight loss and, and actually looking after yourself from a diet and exercise point of view actually does help you sleep. 
So they both work hand in hand. Getting good sleep helps you exercise and perform better and, and generally helps you eat better. Um, one thing, Shebex, going to bed earlier. So if you go to bed before 10 o'clock, think, and this is, I am, I am a, an absolute um, culprit when it comes to the worst food I eat is after 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. So if I go to bed before 10 o'clock, that food disappears. But a bit of weight loss, mate, you, you are looking great, by the way, Shebex. I didn't Thank say that to you when I first saw you. You're looking fantastic. Thank you. That always helps as well. Um, generally, people that are a bit overweight as well do tend to snore. Now, and that's a big general statement. What I do want to say, though, is if you have got a problem of snoring, if it does creep back in or if you know anybody that talks about a snoring problem, I really recommend they go and get checked for uh, checked for sleep apnea. Snoring is a is an indicator for potentially for a, for an obstructive sleep apnea (OSA), which is very, very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. Um, so anyone you know out there, they're easy to treat. Once you know it, it's fine, okay? Because you get a CPAP machine, you can get a mouth guard, you can get anything. Philips, Resmed, you name them. Got wonderful devices. But so many people are walking around right now undiagnosed with sleep apnea and they do not know the danger it is putting on their, their vital organs uh, and their general health and well-being. And once you get diagnosed and fixed, if you do have a sleep apnea, you will ne- not realize how bad you felt until you feel the amazing power of a restorative night's sleep. And Shebex, you know, I'm, you can tell I'm passionate about this subject, yeah, yeah, yeah. but one of the ones in particular is people that snore. Anyone that tells me they've got a problem with snoring, I, I tell them to go straight away. Yeah. Don't wait because it is such a bad, such a harmful thing. It's better to know that you don't have it than live with it. No, fair enough. And uh, we'll talk about sleep apnea down the track. That's a, that's a whole topic in itself. You spoke about the the mental rehabilitation of sleep. So sleep definitely is something that reduces stress. Oh mate, 100%, 100%. It's, it's something that helps you. But the problem you've got is if you live with high stress and anxiety, you find sleep really hard to achieve. Um, It's been really interesting to watch the rise of the wellness movement. And I'm sure you'll have a, a fair few discussions over the journey with people that have been part of that riding the wave of wellness. And that's, you know, looking after yourself holistically, looking after yourself with meditation. The, the rise of meditation has been fantastic. Um, they go hand in hand. They really do with sleep and good sleep health. I, I know I've, I've got a pretty stressful world. Shebex, I've been in this lockdown. I've had a retail business yeah. shut for 12 weeks. I've been carrying several businesses and my family and I've struggled to sleep at times. There are t- tips and tricks and techniques you can learn from things like yoga Shebex, where you, yep. you breathe and that helps you fall asleep. It's all about learning to relax and help yourself go to sleep. There's other things made as well. We heat ourselves up and put electric blankets in our beds when in order to go to sleep, you actually need your core temperature to drop. We do so many things that are counterproductive. And uh, there's, a, there's a guy that I know quite well out of the States called Dr. Robert Exman. He's uh, quite famous in the world of sleep science, particularly in, in the US. He's one of those guys that jumps on Oprah, you know, the old Oprah show yeah. to, to talk yeah. about these things. And Dr. Rexman says the rise of the energy drink, the rise of the coffee um, phenomenon globally is purely around our lack of sleep. If we all slept well, we wouldn't need these things. We wouldn't need stimulants. So we've actually, we're masking, we're masking a big, broad problem in society. Yeah, no, fair enough too. I'll give you a little tip. And one of the reasons why I am sleeping a lot better in the last 12 months, especially, is that my wife and I, and, and I was a big move, and I am a big mover in my bed, so I do toss a fair bit. As a result of that, my wife and I were sharing a queen-size bed, and she would find herself being moved by me moving. So she would 
be thrown up in the air and she would be tossed and turned and that would affect her sleep. As a result, because she kept on telling me that, I would be conscious about every time that I moved. So I would wake up through my movement knowing that I didn't want to wake her up. 12 months ago, my wife and I decided to get two single beds each, which we've put together. But any movement that I have on my side of the bed just does not affect her at all. As a result, she's getting the best night's sleeps that she's ever got. And I'm finding that I'm sleeping a hell of a lot better as well. So there's definitely something in the bedding department of sleeping as well that can adjust your sleep patterns. I've actually just been giving some people the exact advice that you're starting to talk about now. In a queen size bed, you're actually sleeping on less personal sleep space than you would if you're in a single by yourself or two singles. Yeah. So a, a queen gives you less personal sleep space. One of the things that I recommend personally is take the biggest mattress you can fit in your room that you can get your hands on. If that's a super king, happy days, right? Because that'll give you a lot of personal space, temperature regulation, light regulation, um, partner disturbance is a critical one in the 40 winks world. Um, more often than not, when people come in, one of the key things they talk about is partner disturbance. So if you are in the market for a new bed, Shebex, it's a really good idea to go with two single beds. There's, there's a rise of um, a movement for what used to be called old people's beds, you know, the adjustable bed. <laughs> we call them lifestyle beds now because in America, for example, over 50% of the market sleep on a lifestyle bed. It's actually better for your neck if you're sitting up and want to read your book in bed and whatever else. I won't say TVs in the bedroom or phones, mate, because one of the things we prescribe is get all blue light away from yourself for at least an hour before you go to bed. So you shouldn't have TVs or phones in your bedroom. But sitting up to read a book Formula One management on my (laughs) iPad just before I go to sleep. No. Mate, oh, look, I'm guilty of it as well. But one of the big things we talk about, I don't understand why we put sleep um, app, like uh, sleep diagnostic things on phones when people oh, have to look at them because all it's doing is it's counterproductive. We don't want blue light. Like we, we want to keep blue light away from your eyes and that's TVs, phones. So if you can, and I know everyone uses their phone as an alarm clock, just buy an alarm clock. But you know what I mean? Just buy an alarm clock and put your phone in the study, out in the living room. You will sleep better. You will. Even you don't get up in the morning and first thing you do is check Twitter or check Instagram. Uh, there's so many things, but but back to that point, mate, two single beds, really smart. Lots of people are doing it now. Like it's a really good call, but there's a lot of different materials you can buy as well that have zero partner disturbance. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, and I, I won't sort of roll out any brands because I'll get you a sponsorship endorsement at some stage for your program, Shebex. So we won't give it away for free just yeah. yet. But there are some amazing products out there, whether they be Visco foams, and there's any number of manufacturers of those. Don't buy the cheap ones because they are synthetic and they will cook you. Buy the good quality ones and you can do your research and work it out. Latexes are good. Pocket springs are good. Um, There's lots of different technology out there if you want to stay in the one bed. But again, two single longs, two king singles, mate, push together. That's a great way to go about it. Yeah, as I said, it's, it's really worked for us. And we have a super king doona which covers straight over the two single beds and everyone's happy. So you still get a snuggle in there, Shebex, occasionally, do you? It's actually quite funny you mentioned that because I've never felt more apart from my wife than what I have in the last 12 months in bed because she's over her side and I'm, and you're right, the, the space that we have between the two of us is amazing. And I can turn from left to right, right to left, throw my arms out, kick my legs out and I'm nowhere near touching her. So that, the benefits of that is amazing, especially for me. And you can always visit, mate, late night, early in the morning. You can always go for a visit. Can do. And yes, and we do. 
<laughs> no, sleep is personal, mate. Sleep is personal. The, the temperature you like to sleep at, the way you like to sleep. Some people like a fan in the room. You know, we can, we can drill down into any part of this, Shebex, about personal sleep you want to go down. It's such an exciting area because there's so much unknown and the it other, is so personal. The other thing I wanted to touch on too, and we'll get into this at another time, is the afternoon siesta. And I'm sure a lot of studies have been done between what happens in the Western world and what happens in the Mediterranean world and the like, and, and even other parts of, of the world. But is there any benefit to that little one to two hour nip around two o'clock in the afternoon? I'm going to go and get some specialists in circadian rhythm to give me a definitive answer to that. Cause I've got quite a few friends that, that specialize in the circadian rhythm. What you'll find is around the afternoon, there's a dip. Uh, which generally leads to that lull that we all get. And guess what? We all reach for the snacks. We all reach for the the the, the fizzy drinks or the, the coffee just to prop ourselves up again. Yeah. Um, a long sleep, it will be counterproductive for you being able to sleep at night. A short nap, 15, 20-minute power nap, nothing wrong with those. They're fantastic. So yeah, there is that. a bit to be said of it, but it's a nap, not a sleep. Yeah. Once you start moving into the deeper stages of sleep, it is going to disrupt your actual sleep at night. And the one thing that every single sleep researcher worth their salt will tell you, routine is king. Your body does not know the difference between a weekday and a weekend. And you cannot bank up sleep hours. You can't sleep for 11 hours on a weekend and hope that's going to help you in the following week when you're sleeping four hours a night through the week. It needs to be eight hours a night, whether it's a Monday or a Sunday. And Kevin, I'm sure that there's also a lot of research being done at the moment in regards to sleep and mental health. Massively. I'm actually um, in what is called a cooperative research, research centre um, proposal in front of the federal government at the moment with Bupa um, around mental health in particular. And we're coming in as the arm of sleep and what we're starting to learn about it. Um, it, it is horrendous that what people face that have that disrupted sleep, people with insomnia, uh, uh, you know, live with a great deal of anxiety and depression um, in order to really look after yourself mentally. And I mean, genuinely look after yourself um, mentally. You need to look after your sleep first. It is the basis for which the rest of your life is built on. You know, the old saying, you can tell when you got out of the wrong side of the bed. Yeah. That is absolutely true, mate. It is, you know, the way you, uh, the way you turn out in the morning is the way you're going to approach the rest of your day. And you know, when you're cranky, and you wake up some mornings and you're filthy with the day and you, it's because you didn't sleep well. And then there are those beautiful mornings you wake up, the birds are chirping, the sun is shining, you're walking out of bed with a smile and how good are those days, Shebex? And it mm. comes down to one thing, mate, the quality of sleep leading into the day. That'd be absolutely spot on. I've always said the worst, what's worse than getting out of the wrong side of bed is getting out of the wrong bed. <laughs> well mate look it's a big party it's a big decision making purchase even pillows i mean there's another thing we can start talking about um pillows and and the impact yeah. they have you can have a wonderful bed if you have a terrible pillow your sleep is disrupted as well um temperature as i said light noise so many factors shebex and, and look we'll drill down into it i'm actually really excited to, to start being able to to give you a, a lot of the learnings i've had over most of my life i'm really passionate about sleep i love it a great deal and i am as guilty as the next person when it comes to sacrificing sleep whenever I've got a deadline. It's one of the worst things you can do. And yep. yet even people like myself that spend our lives in it still do it, Chebex. So I think it's important that we all talk about it. No, it certainly is, Cam. And just before I let you go, mate, I thank you so much for uh, for your time in this uh, first chat that we've had, and there's plenty more to come. You mentioned the stresses that you've been going through uh, with your business and the like, and we record this episode the day after the Victorian government 
have announced the lifting of uh, lockdown restrictions and retail uh, set to open within the next uh, 12 to 24 hours. Just tell us about the benefits on the community in regards to how that is going to change our lives. Oh, um, whew, this is a big one. When that announcement happened yesterday, I got a little bit emotional quietly where I was. It, the toll this has taken on um, on the society in Melbourne, in Victoria, for anyone that's not outside of I don't think anyone really understands what Melbourne has been through. Um, they, you can understand it from the outside, but it has been horrendous. Yeah. The uncertainty, um, the, it, it, the opening is one of the, the great reliefs, you know, that we're all looking at the bright day tomorrow, another zero case day. And I know as we're recording, we've just achieved our second donut day in retail. We hate donut days, but this is the greatest donut day I've, I think I've ever had. Shebex, it, it's been probably the toughest seven months or eight months in business I've ever had in my life. I hope I never have to go through it again. I hope no one else ever has to go through it again. But if anyone is out there listening to this, go and say hello to your local trader. Don't just put your money through their tills as well, which is definitely always welcomed. Uh, you also got to look after your own personal financial security as well. Just go in and check on them. Make sure they're all okay. Yeah. Let them know you're happy they're back. And, and make sure you look after the little guy because they do the heavy lifting when it comes to taxation, when it comes to employment. And they're the ones that have done it the toughest. You know, Landlords haven't taken their foot off the throat. Suppliers have needed their money for their businesses. And when you can't trade, Shebex, it makes it very, very difficult. So there's a lot of small business owners out there right now that have no nest eggs left. They've got no cash left in the bank, right? So, but they're going to be the most happy people you'll ever meet. They'll be the happiest people with $0 in the bank account, mate. And they'll be even happier when you all turn up and put a dollar or two through their till. Exactly, mate. Let's make Victoria great again. That's what this is all about. Cameron, thank you for your time. I look forward to catching up with you in a couple of weeks. We'll talk about another topic in regards to sleep. And thank you for your time today. Thanks, Shabex. Cameron Vandendungen joining us here on the A to Z of Men's Health. And welcome back, Good Health Radio here. Tony Shebeki with you on the A to Z of Men's Health. And a very important part of Men's Health, of course, is the word health. And a very important part of health is keeping fit. Exercise is something that can help us stay healthy throughout our entire life, whether it be physical health or whether it be mental health. And to tell us more about that, we thought we would go to our program Physio. His name is Ian Tran. He is a director and a physio at Back in Motion in Braybrook, and he joins us now for a chat. G'day, Ian. How are you? Good, Tony. And uh, thank you very much for welcoming me on your show. It is a privilege to be here. Look forward to catching up with you over the next uh, months and weeks and years, hopefully, <laughs> talking about men's health. And, and as I said, health is the most important word in men's health, isn't it? If you're not healthy, then you're not healthy. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's my passion to help people improve and reach their optimal health. And um, that's why I, I'm, I'm doing what I do and love doing it, being a physio. So the two areas that we mentioned, physical health and mental health, in a way, I, I'm sure they work hand in hand. If you feel good within yourself and you feel fit and you feel energetic, your mental health is normally, should be, on a, on a fairly high plane. And if you're feeling lazy and aloof and you know really lethargic mental health can suffer absolutely and, and they they form a very close symbiotic relationship and as more research comes out we, we get to we get to explore that relationship more and and i guess to speak to that tony um and and the topic that we're talking about today if i told you in fact there was a pill that i could give you tony that would make you live longer feel happier become smarter and more focused 
feel stronger, look more handsome than you already are, which is, I know, very hard already. Um, (laughs) Improve your recovery from injuries, sleep better, and improve your libido. Would you want that pill? I'm taking a dozen. (laughs) And that pill, it's exercise. It is physical, and it is proven all over the world. And in fact, if exercise were a pill, it'd be the single most prescribed and effective medication in improving people's health that we could ever prescribe. So isn't that funny? Because people always see that if a that if a doctor or a, a physician gives you a a physical pill, a, a tablet, that that is meant to be the thing that'll fix you. You know, most people see that that you know you've got a cold, so you take a cold and flu tablet. You've got depression, you take an antidepressant, and and the like. But it is that simple that we don't need as such so much of the the that that tablet side of it where yeah. we just need to look after ourselves better yeah i think with, with health being the way it is there is obviously benefits that are uh that you can derive from pharmacological medications that are out there but i think the underutilized um component of physical health and improving our physical health through exercise which is generally free readily available somewhat challenging over the last six or seven months due to our restrictions that we've had here in melbourne and the distances that we can travel but still it is available to everyone it's the the most democratic form of treatment that we've got and um and it's fantastic and i love getting people involved in it all right so let's go through a couple of the the interesting scenarios in regards to achieving some sort of exercise and one of those is is that people just have this perceived idea that they don't have the time to exercise is that uh, fact or fiction i would say that is fiction definitely in the fiction column there and we used to think you'd have to you know the recommended is 150 minutes of moderate exercise a week which was what's been sort of bandied around for a few years now but in fact tony the, the science is coming out more so showing that even as little as five to seven minutes of moderate to intense exercise three to four times a week can have enormous benefits for not only our physical health, like we're talking about, but also the mental health, the what we're doing. And if you don't have five to seven minutes in your day, then you must be very, very busy. (laughs) So what's the easiest way to find five to seven minutes, Ian? I mean, is it just a matter of just doing some nice, simple exercises, some stretches, all that sort of stuff? Is that enough? Look, movement... Any movement is better than no movement at all. And particularly for folks that are coming out of COVID now and being a little bit deconditioned, I'd always recommend starting off slowly. And hopefully, Tony, we can cover this next week and I'll do a bit of a segue at the end of our session today. But starting off slowly and gently, if you're not sure or comfortable about your exercises and how to start off, obviously seek some professional advice from your physio, your exercise physiologist, whoever it is that you, you trust with your physical health to set up a program for you. Other ways that are really useful is setting an accountability buddy or a time that you're going to do it with and that person will write it on a wall or something like that just so that you commit to making that happen. All right, I'm going to give you an opportunity here to sort of make yourself look good and, and, and put your, <laughs> uh, your years of experience and study to use. Give us some of the medical reasons and terms as to why exercise is good for us. Fantastic. So first and foremost, exercise, it's a way in which we challenge the body and improve what um, in ourselves as these little engines called mitochondria. 
And when we exercise, it actually improves the efficiency of those mitochondria. So that's where we get our energy and vigor from. Um, and other, other things about exercise, when it increases blood flow, and particularly blood flow to the brain, and hence that mental health acuity uh, component, that really improves as well. Over time, our bodies degrade. Now, as we get older and older, um, the body sort of regenerates itself, and it sort of then makes us more susceptible to some of these chronic illnesses and that. But what exercise does, it actually helps refresh, protect our body. So as we refresh, we don't become as susceptible, as susceptible to it. Um, and so the benefits of exercise in that sense from a physiological perspective are, are sort of encapsulated there. Okay, no problems. Uh, the other thing... Also, is though while exercise is important, rest and rehabilitation is important as well. And as we spoke to Cameron Vandenduggen in the interview just before you, sleep is also a major player in our mental health and, and our physiology as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, that's one of the key questions that I ask with a lot of my um, clients and patients that come in to see me is sleep. How's your sleep? And because if you're not sleeping well and you're not getting that recovery um, component to it, then it's almost like spinning the wheels in a sense where, um, with all the other things that we can implement. So once again, um, that's a super important part of what we do. And exercise helps you get better sleep. Um, so obviously, as you're feeling a little bit more tired, you not only get to sleep quicker, but you actually sleep longer and then get into that cycle, which sounds like Cam spoke about previously. And I'm 53 years of age. I'm no, on the, oh, no I, 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 don't, I know. I don't look at <laughs> over 52. I know that. Uh, I'm getting to a stage where me and everyone else around my age is starting to just feel a little bit older, and we start to feel the creaks in our bones and our, <laughs> our joints, and we start to just slow down a little bit in our movement. And that can be a turnoff for a lot of people in regards to starting exercise, especially at an older age. Yeah. And, and that is normal. That's the normal part of aging, um, Tony. And a really good thing um, that we often say is motion is lotion. So when you actually move and you exercise, your body and the joints produce something called synovial fluid. And basically, it's kind of like WD-40 for your joints. And so as you move more and you become more active, and, and like we were saying before, it doesn't need to be intense and long lots of time, just some movement, be it some gardening, go and mow the lawn or just get a bit of activity in there, you actually then get better. And these creaks and aches and pains that we sort of feel as we, we uh, get a little bit older, they then become less so dominant in the things that we do. I think one of the great things that has come out of the last few weeks in regards to things that have been lifted from our restrictions is the hydro pool and indoor swimming. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of people, just that warm water and just being able to walk in the warm water with a little bit of weight and the like and, and help you can be a massive relief where you don't have to you know walk on hard concrete or whatever it may be. I think a lot of people have probably cheered on that result. Mm. There's some, and exactly like you say, Tony, there's some great forms of exercise that are low impact, that are a great introduction, getting back into your um, fitness and your health um, are great. So you mentioned hydrotherapy, walking's fantastic. Um, if you don't have access to the hydrotherapy pool, even going down to the beach, I myself, I love surfing. So any opportunity I can, I can, I get in the water and go for a bit of a paddle. Swimming's fantastic. Um, we do in our clinic uh, something called clinical exercise slash Pilates, which is a resistance-based exercise uh, form of exercise where we're working across gravity and springs as well. So taking that impact out, which can sometimes um, yeah flare up those little aches and pains. 
Uh, so we've spoken a bit about the, the physical side of exercise. Let's talk about the mental benefits of exercise and how it helps us overcome things like depression, anxiety, stress and the like. Yeah. So a lot, I mean, I, I would, I would, uh, I would assume we've all felt some levels of anxiety and stress over the yeah. last six to eight months um, in the face of this global pandemic that we've been sort of dealing with. And so when you exercise, your body produces a hormone code called dopamine. And that sort of allows us to cope a lot better and give us a, a much more um, fresh mental acuity in dealing with stress. And that's the that natural thing that we can tap into our bodies to help us feel better and serotonin levels as well. And so our body's already got it built into our system to help us uh, deal with some of these things. Now, obviously in, in more severe and extreme cases, you want to obviously seek other forms of advice and exercise um, input in dealing with these conditions, but for sure exercise. I mean, there's a great study that was done in the past where they compared antidepressants, and exercise as forms of treatment. And what they found in many regards was that exercise was as equally as effective as antidepressants. And in fact, the most powerful, um, what they found was antidepressants coupled with exercise and those guys were getting the best results in treating their sort of mental health conditions. Fantastic. That, that's great. The other people probably don't see meditation as a form of exercise and, and relaxation, but it very much is, isn't it? Absolutely. So mindfulness, meditation, all great, um, really great things to consider when you're doing exercise. And, and um, oh, my, my uncle, he was a monk. And uh, so when he came to visit us in Australia, I was asking him about mindfulness and meditation. And uh, he, he said quite a funny thing to me because I, I thought, you know, we always think of meditation as being sitting on a rock in a beautiful place and, and closing your eyes and sitting in the lotus position. But meditation and mindfulness can be something as simple as for me personally, as you can probably see in the background here, Tony, picking up the guitar, playing for 10 minutes and being focused and mindful in, in what you're doing. And exercise allows for that. And so when you're going out for your run or you're going for your walk or your surf or you're coming and you're doing your Pilates program, you really focus in on that moment of what you're doing. And it allows us to shut out that sort of, a lot of that white noise that, that is part of life these days and allows us to tap into that mindfulness that you speak of. You might know the answer to this question, but is there a, is there a specific study? Has there been a specific study done or is there a reason why being near water allows us to be more calm and more relaxed? Very good question, Tony. And in fact, I was talking to a good friend of mine yesterday. I now, I cannot say this is researched and, uh, and uh, backed up, but I'm only going to say a friend told me. But there is a theory that humans were once more... Um, that we call it the water ape theory. Mm -hmm. we were in, and hence the reason why we've got a lot more water on our hair on our head to keep our head warm, but less so hair on our body because they think that we used to swim around the water a lot more. And so this primal connection to water that we have, allow that that's a theory of what we do. Me personally, I just reckon the human body, so much of it is made up of water in itself. And so by going into these water-based activities, personally, I love it. On the, on the other hand, I know my sister hates the water. So my theory falls flat on that one. But, um, but personally, I, I probably feel like you, Tony, uh, the, uh, the water element uh, brings me much peace. Well, I have a creek on the back of my uh, house in, in Altona and uh, I go down there often for a walk. And sometimes I just sit there as a barbecue table and oh, just close my eyes and just think for five minutes. And yeah. it's just the, the, the sound of the, the movement of the water, the trees, and, and I, I feel so revigorated reinvigorated yeah. after it yeah 
yeah, that connection to nature too, I think is is really important. I'm probably stepping out of my boundaries as a physio uh, in, in regards to saying that, but um, I'm certain there is evidence out there just to now that we're allowed to travel a little bit further and finding that space and connecting back with nature, be it the water, the forest, those sort of things. Yeah. I think it's really important for that sort of... See, I see this whole exercise physical thing as being a, a, a circle and if we're exercising we're obviously feeling a lot better in ourselves and when we mm. feel a lot better in ourselves because we feel that we've lost a little bit of weight and we're mm. looking trimmer and all that sort of stuff absolutely our, our esteem goes up we feel better in ourselves we have higher esteem in ourselves and when you feel better in yourselves the whole world just looks better it's a it's a, a massive circle that you've got to jump on Absolutely. And it's, and it's the prism with which you view the world. And um, I'm, I'm super passionate about um, sport, obviously, and particularly uh, some, I spent some time working at the Mabalong Sports Academy with the elite athletes down there, the young kids. And it was so inspiring to see the way they, uh, they do sport and the impact actually those athletes and their sporting success has had on the wider community in that area. Um, and, and so the things that you can achieve through physical, physical activity, sport, both from self-esteem perspective, yeah. but also how you can lift those around you. Uh, I love it. I'm all in. All right, Ian, this has been a fantastic start to our chat. So we, you mentioned before you were going to bring up a topic for our next chat. What's that going to be? Absolutely. So now, once again, I'm going to step out of my boundaries of physio a little bit and talk about a bit of Greek mythology, Tony. There is a, sto- a story in Greek mythology called Milo of Croton. And in about, I think it was about 250 BC, around that time, he was basically the Michael Phelps of Greek wrestling. So he's won five Olympics in a world uh, in a row for wrestling. Um, I think he's claimed heaps of titles. And what the secret of his strength and how he can improve, I'm going to talk about next week. And it's going to cover these topics of how to increase your strength gradually which yep. we call periodization i'm going to talk a little bit how we can reduce the risk of as the gyms open up shortly to go back to exercising exercising in a safe manner so you can reduce the uh, risk of injury and finally i'm going to use a little bit of a nerdy physio or science term called the acute chronic workload ratio which i'm going to talk about next week as well so for those out there that love excel spreadsheets they can uh, they can tap into this and sort of manage their exercise in a safe way Oh, fantastic, Ian. Welcome aboard, mate, to the A to Z of men's health. And we look forward to keeping up to date with uh, everything that's going to keep us fit and healthy for the rest of our lives. It's been a privilege. Thanks, Tony. Ian Tran joining us from Back in Motion in Braybrook. That's it for our show this week. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to catching you again next week right here on the A to Z of men's health on the Good Health Radio.